Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. This week, we're continuing with our Biblical Mindset series, and I'd like to take a biblical look at the issue of legalism. This is such a big problem in the church today, and maybe something you've struggled with in your own life, or it's bothered you, you've seen it in the church or in others' lives. I want to take a fresh look at this from a biblical perspective. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that now through August 1st is the best time to register for next year's Set Apart Conference in 2024. The dates are June 7th through 9th. So if you'd like to join us online or in person, we'd love to have you. And you can register after August 1st, but for the deepest discounts, I encourage you to make plans to join us now. Go to setapart.org or just click the link in this podcast description if you're interested in learning more. Also, there still are a couple of spots left in our week-long program at Ellerslie this summer. August 12th is when that program starts. So if you are looking for a time to just come away with Jesus and be refreshed and encouraged in his truth, consider joining us in Colorado this August and you might be able to snag one of the last few spots. Just click the link in this podcast description or you can go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Let's look at a biblical approach to legalism. Now, I'll probably do a deeper dive into this issue in an upcoming episode, maybe even do a series on it. But because so many women that I know are currently wrestling through this issue and struggling with it, I wanted to hit it from a fresh biblical perspective in this series as well. I remember being a young girl growing up in the church and kind of seeing two different extremes when it came to women with standards. First, I would see women who were really seeking to live a holy lifestyle. They were really intent on wearing very modest clothing. They would avoid a lot of pop culture things. They really, if they were homeschool parents, especially they would have their kids dress a certain way and behave a certain way in church. And even though they had some really good qualities, I didn't find myself drawn to their lifestyle because all too often these were well-meaning Christians that seemed to kind of veer into the belief that their religious lifestyles, their modest clothing choices, the way they homeschooled, their strict child training methods were the things that made them right with God. And so rarely did I see them demonstrate just a genuine love and joy and passion for Christ. They seemed very oppressed and bogged down by their lifestyle and their rules. And sometimes I even saw and heard them exude a critical spirit towards other Christians who didn't share all of their specific personal convictions. And so as I was growing up in the church, before I really radically gave my life to Christ, I saw some of that and was tempted to swing in the opposite direction and throw all standards of set-apartness and holy living out the window because I didn't want to become like them. I also saw women in the church who were on the opposite extreme who didn't seem to have any standards at all. And even though they called themselves Christians, they lived very much like the world. And something also seemed wrong with that approach. I remember when I was about 16 or 17 years old, a young woman came into my life that really made an impact on me. She was so passionately in love with Jesus. She had very high standards and convictions, and she was very set apart, but her motivation seemed to come from an entirely different source. She wasn't trying to be right with God by adopting a whole bunch of self-imposed rules. Her focus wasn't even on her standards. Her focus was on loving and knowing Jesus Christ. And every standard that she upheld was an outflow of that personal, passionate, intimate, daily, loving walk with him. I was able to observe this young woman 
in pretty close quarters. And I just watched her joy as she read her Bible. I watched her radiance as she spoke about Christ. I watched her worship in worship services, just so enraptured by her King. And when I saw that type of passion and her desire to have higher standards were simply an outflow of her love for Jesus Christ, her passion for him, the one who had given everything for her, I began to get an inkling of where true set-apartness, where true holy living needed to flow from. It couldn't be from rules. It had to come from a passionate daily relationship with the King of all kings. Up until that point, I had always been afraid that if I adopted higher standards for purity and holy living, I would become like those stiff, overly somber, legalistic Christians I had seen growing up. And now through her example, I began to see that set-apart living, righteous living, holy living, when it is an outflow of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, does not need to be dour and restrictive and oppressive. It is beautiful. It's radiant. It's fulfilling. So I began to grow in my relationship with Christ. And as I really learned how to fully surrender my life to him, he began to gently and sweetly and tenderly purify my daily habits and choices. I began to make different decisions in how I dressed, how I spoke, how I spent my time. But none of those choices came out of the idea that I was trying to get on God's good side or prove my holiness to anyone. They were simply because Jesus Christ was lovingly refining me and making me more like himself. I love this quote from the book, God's Missionary, that Amy Carmichael wrote, and she really captures the kind of relationally refining work that God did in my life during that season of learning how to be set apart for the right reasons. She said, it is not that he forbids us this or that indulgence or comfort of life. It's not that he is stern, but it is that we who love our Lord and whose affections are set on things that are in heaven voluntarily and gladly lay aside things that charm and ravish the world, that for our part, our hearts may be ravished with the things of heaven, that our whole being may be poured forth in constant and unreserved devotion in the service of the Lord who died to save us. Now that really captures true set-apartness. It's one of delight. Lord, I delight to give everything to the one who gave everything to me in return. And as this young woman that impacted me so beautifully demonstrated, true set-apartness and holy living can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything else will very quickly become oppressive and legalistic. And as I said earlier, there seem to be two very distinct camps in Christianity today. There are those who have embraced sort of a worldly, fleshly version of Christianity in the name of Christian liberty. And then there are those who have embraced self-imposed rules in an attempt to be right with God. Neither of these extremes reflect the heart or the nature of Christ. But I have seen another kind of Christian woman that God is raising up all over the world, really. And they're women who are truly set apart for their heavenly king. They're not enslaved to legalism, nor are they in bondage to fleshly and selfish compromised living. Just like that young woman I met in my teen years, they are lovingly, joyfully surrendered to Jesus Christ. They are continually being purified and refined by his Holy Spirit. Their lives reflect his purity, his love, his holiness, his radiance, not through striving or self-effort, but through the enabling power of God's spirit who dwells within them. Oswald Chambers said it this way, we are to be perfect, not by struggle and effort, but by the impartation of 
of that which is perfect. Now, there's a lot to that statement, and we really have to understand who we are in Christ, what our position is in Christ, and the miracle of Christ in us, the hope of glory, willing and acting to do according to his perfect will. So that's a very deep dive that I would encourage you to study in Scripture. But really, the point that I want to make today is this. As you seek to become consecrated to Jesus Christ, Satan would love to distract you from true set-apartness and pull you either into the bondage of legalism, which is self-constructed, self-made holiness, or licentiousness, self-ruled, fleshly living. I want to share some key principles that can help you avoid both of those pitfalls and keep your eyes on the true source of set-apartness. So let's take a deeper look at how to be free from the trap of legalism. I know for me, even after I began to understand true set-apartness as an outflow of my relationship with Christ, I noticed that it was very easy to let my choices and my decisions come from an attitude of duty and obligation rather than joyful surrender. I so desired to be right with God that I sometimes bought into the lie that it was all up to me to keep my life on the straight and narrow path. I worked very hard to wear God-honoring clothes, speak God-honoring words, and conduct my behavior biblically. It was really easy to fall into the trap of doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. And whenever this happened, I would lose my joy and feel weighed down by the idea of being set apart for Christ. I remember a verse that I read in Jude that really was a breakthrough for me, and it says in Jude one twenty four, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Those words really showed me that Christ and Christ alone was the one who could keep me from stumbling. My job was not to make a list of, quote, set apart rules to obey and to put my trust in. My job was simply to abide in Jesus Christ. As I learned to abide in him, he kept me from stumbling. 1 John 3, 6 really builds upon this principle. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. As we abide in Christ, he guides us, directs us, purifies us from sin, convicts us when conviction is needed. In other words, our lives truly can become pure and pleasing to him as an outflow of our daily soul intimacy with him. Now, this doesn't mean that once we understand the abiding life, we'll never sin again. It means that when we are in that place of being connected to the vine, it protects us from falling into those sinful patterns. That brings incredible freedom because when it comes to righteous living, our focus is to be on abiding in Jesus and let him do the rest by his grace. Abiding in Christ, I believe, is the single most important step in being free from the bondage of legalism. And if you're unsure where to begin in this idea of abiding in Christ, begin meditating on the words of John 15, where Jesus tells us what it really means to abide in him, and he reminds us that without him, we can do nothing. There are also some really great classic Christian books on the subject of abiding in Christ. Two of my favorites are Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray and The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And there are many others that we will link in this podcast description. Now, in addition to learning how to abide in Jesus Christ daily, there are two other really important keys to being set free from the trap of legalism. And the first one is don't idolize personal convictions. Now, this is really hard to do if you are one of those people who takes your personal convictions very seriously. Personal convictions can be extremely important, but when others think of you, do they think more about your personal opinions and choices than they do about Christ? 
If so, that's a sign that you may be placing too high of a priority on your own convictions and opinions. Now, that's not to say that people can't be impacted for Christ by seeing you live out your convictions, but they are far more likely to be drawn to the gospel when they sense the attitude and nature of Christ exuding from you rather than just noticing that maybe your kids sit still in church if you're a mom or that you always wear long skirts instead of pants. When personal convictions are placed above Christ, they make us susceptible to self-righteousness and spiritual pride. When I think about the young woman who impacted me in this area, what I remember is her joyful attitude and her selfless spirit that people noticed. It wasn't just her standards for how she lived or how she dressed. Even though those things can make a difference, people should primarily see us as Christians, not as a homeschooler or a modest dresser or someone who is conservative in their politics. If we find more satisfaction in our opinions and our choices than we do in the simple, amazing, astounding fact that we are children of the king, then our convictions can become an idol in our life. Think about this. If you're ever imprisoned for your faith, it won't be your example of training your children a certain way, wearing long skirts, or teaching your kids to sit still in church, or any other kind of personal standard that is going to impact the prison guards or the other inmates for the gospel. It is going to be your hope, your faith, your gentleness, your courage, and most importantly, your love. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, every other demonstration of our Christianity is meaningless without that all-important foundation of love. So how can you tell whether a conviction has become an idol in your life or not? I think it's important to evaluate your beliefs about where your righteousness and justification comes from. Do you believe that you are accepted by God because of your personal lifestyle preferences or because you are in Christ, as it says in Romans 8.1? If you are looking for spiritual security in anything outside of him, you are not walking in the reality of the gospel. So take some time to become rooted in what it means to be clothed in his righteousness and not your own. Secondly, it's important that we ask ourselves, where is our identity coming from? If we are more known for our opinions than for our example of Christ, our love for Christ, then it's likely we need to readjust our priorities. Of course, this doesn't mean we should throw all of our convictions out the window or go to the opposite extreme in any area of our life, but it does mean we need to shift our focus. Let's ask God for the grace to center our lives upon him to make Jesus Christ and him crucified our true foundation, our true North Star. And whenever we start to veer away from that true North, we must ask him to gently pull our gaze back to where it belongs on him. Another key in being set free from the trap of legalism is to guard against a critical spirit. I would encourage you to ask God to give you his heart toward Christians who don't share your same convictions. If you are harboring a critical spirit toward other believers, you are not going to be able to reflect true set-apartness. Certain foundational principles of Christianity are truly non-negotiable, and we must be willing to divide and separate over those key points or even to die to preserve them if necessary, as Christians have done throughout the ages. You can see 1 Corinthians 5.11 for that principle. But it's important to keep in mind that even those steps of standing out for the core of Christianity must be done in love and not 
harshness. A lot of other areas of our life are not a central part of the gospel, but we often try to make them so. If you're convinced that no one can really be a Christian unless they homeschool or only sing hymns or dress a specific way and so on, it's important that you gain a better understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to take some time to focus on the glorious, life-changing reality of the cross and the transforming power of the gospel. Let God build your convictions upon things that truly matter in light of eternity. And don't allow the peripheral issues to make you critical towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. I love what Oswald Chambers says about this. God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. If you see areas in other Christians' lives that need to be refined by the Spirit of God, the worst thing you can do is gossip, criticize, or develop a superior attitude toward them. Instead, pray for them diligently and consistently show love and the nature of Christ in your interactions with them. James 1.20 reminds us that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So adopting a harsh, angry, critical attitude toward other believers will not help to accomplish God's purpose in our lives or in theirs. A critical spirit can never produce the righteousness of God. It always leads to harm and never to good. And it's so important that we keep in mind that it is God's job to convict, to refine, and to purify another person's soul, not ours. When we try to become someone else's conscience, we are revealing our lack of faith in God's ability to do his refining work in their soul. So don't try to do the work that only his spirit can do. He is far better at convicting and purifying others than we ever could be. So let's also talk about how we can use our liberty well, because we've been talking about how to avoid falling into the pitfall of legalism. We can also abuse our liberty in Christ. So I want to talk for a moment about how to avoid doing that. I remember encountering a young man who was a Christian And he became disgusted by observing a group of Christians who were enslaved to legalism and self-righteousness. Instead of taking his frustration to God and responding to that in a healthy way, he swung to the opposite extreme in order to, quote, prove his freedom in Christ. So he threw all of his standards out the window and he embraced a sinful and self-indulgent lifestyle. He watched perverted movies. He listened to ungodly music. He drank alcohol without restraint. He used crude language. He filled his life with worldly attitudes and activities at every turn. He still professed to be a Christian, but he believed he had the freedom to live any way he wanted to. Because he had seen the damaging effects of legalism firsthand, this man assumed that living in impurity and holiness would automatically mean bondage to self-imposed rules and spiritual pride. He felt it was up to him to show the world what freedom in Christ really meant. Many of us know modern Christians who have adopted that mindset, believing that the best way to prove our freedom in Christ is, and protect against legalism is to reject anything that would smack of a higher standard and live a compromised lifestyle. If you find yourself shying away from words like purity, holiness, or righteousness, and frequently letting sin and worldliness creep into your life under the banner of Christian liberty, then it is likely that you are abusing your liberty in Christ. Christians who abuse their Christ-given liberty often justify their behavior by talking about their freedom in Christ and quoting verses like Galatians 5.1, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, or 1 Corinthians 10.12, 
23, where Paul says, all things are lawful to me. But this kind of attitude when we're just setting out to prove that we can do whatever we want because of our freedom in Christ, that reveals a lack of understanding of what freedom in Christ really means. Christ did not set us free so that we could live a life of sin and self-indulgence. He set us free from the controlling power of our sinful flesh so that we are now free to serve righteousness instead of sin, as it says in Romans 6, 10 through 14. Paul clearly answers the liberty in Christ question in Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And in Galatians 5.24, he says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The evidence that we have truly given our lives to Christ is that we are no longer controlled by our fleshly selfish desires and indulgences. As Christians, we are free from sin's control and empowered by his grace to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. Galatians 5, 19 through 23 distinguishes the difference between the fruit of the flesh, which would be idolatry, drunkenness, jealousy, factions, carousing, etc., and the fruit of the Spirit, which would be love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, etc. If our lives are ruled by the fruit of the flesh, it is a sign that we're not really abiding in Christ. But if our lives are ruled by the fruit of the Spirit, that's a sign that we are yielded to Him and we are empowered by His enabling grace to live the life He has called us to live. Beware of attempting to avoid legalism by swinging to the opposite extreme and embracing a self-indulgent lifestyle. As Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, use your freedom in Christ to embrace the love, the joy, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control that he created you to exude. As you yield your life to his spirit, he will enable you by his grace to live a life of radiant purity that you could never live on your own. I just want to close this episode on giving you a picture of what I believe true set-apartness really looks like, someone who is not controlled by legalism and someone who is not controlled by their flesh. I heard a story of a Christian man in a foreign country who was imprisoned for his faith in Christ. His heart was burdened for the soul of a fellow prisoner who was an atheist who did not know Christ, didn't want to know Christ. Day after day, this Christian man showed love to the fellow prisoner in every way possible and followed him everywhere, witnessing to him about Jesus. Finally, the atheist was fed up with hearing about Jesus. He angrily told the Christian man, that's it. Tell me in one sentence who this Jesus is. And after that, I don't want to hear anything more about him. Without hesitation, the Christian smiled and told the atheist, he's like me. The atheist considered those words and then decided, if he's like you, I want to know him. And that day he gave his life to Christ. That is such a challenging story because if you and I were given one sentence to describe Jesus to a non-believer, would we be able to confidently say, he's like me? The world will stand back in speechless wonder when they see true set-apartness. It's not going to be legalism that draws them to Christ, a whole bunch of self-imposed rules. It's not going to also be those of us who just throw all standards to the wind and live however we want and put a Christian label over it. Let us be Christians who are neither ensnared by legalism or licentiousness, but empowered by God's grace to live holy, pure, loving, joyful, peaceful, courageous lives that radiate with heavenly beauty and change the world around us for eternity by the grace of God. 
I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into these truths and what it means to live a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.